This podcast is brought to you by Overstayer Recording Equipment, makers of professional recording instruments including the Framework Modular Channel and MAS for creative tracking, processing, and mixing applications. To learn more, check out OverstayerAudio.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Pairing of Amanda Shires and producer Lawrence Rothman is an unlikely one. On paper, Amanda's Americana-leaning solo records, including her work with the High Women and Lawrence's highly art-rock-leaning production style, make almost no sense. And that's the beauty of it. The two partnered during COVID on remote writing collaborations, and finally with full band sessions at Nashville's famed RCA Studio B and Amanda's barn-turned-home studio. Jeff Stanfield caught up with Amanda and Lawrence to talk about their partnership and the process of making her new album, Take It Like a Man. Enjoy. I was thinking about this conversation and, you know, rather than go down the, the traditional, you know, standard questions that you guys have been asked 50 times about making this record. I, I really started thinking more about the idea of partnerships and and why people work together and choose each other and kind of come together and, and, and how, you know, these pairings make for good music. And, and so, although I do want to talk about making the record, I'd, I'd really love to focus around sort of the, the relationship aspect of artist and producer and coming together. So if that's, that's fun, yeah, mm-hmm. just something, something maybe a little bit different and uh, a lot different. That's fun. You know, Amanda, what, what music of Lawrence's did you hear that made you think that this was going to be a good idea? And Lawrence, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. Let's start there. I think I think I'm gonna let Lawrence lead because Lawrence came into my life via Lawrence first. So, <laughs> yeah, I so I discovered Amanda before Amanda discovered me. Um, I uh, first uh, caught wind of of her beautiful music via the High Women. Um, I, I had heard that High Women record and just thought it was a masterpiece from top to bottom, and then while exploring that album some of the my most favorite songs on it were the ones that amanda was singing the lead vocal on so then that brought me down a rabbit hole of amanda's music and uh i just thought you know record after record i was just under i was discovering a gem that i had never you know knew about and so i went down the rabbit hole of her her music and really loved the 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 sort of focused and intent I'm doing great lyric writing uh, and poetic lyric writing because lyrics uh, are kind of like my number one thing as, as far as what grabs my attention. And then the, the richness and the softness at the same time in her voice, uh, I just, you know, was very, very, very drawn to it. And so when it came time for me to make my album, um, I wanted to have 
a few features on it because my voice is so low. I like to team up with people who have higher ranged voices. Um, so sometimes that could be, you know, a male voice or a, a woman's voice or, you know, whomever. But I just like to frame my voice with somebody who's got a higher pitch. Um, and a couple of the people that I reached out to, my short list, uh, luckily they responded uh, and wanted to get involved with, uh, on singing on my album. And Amanda was one of the very first uh, people I reached out to, one of the very first people to um, come on board. And from there, I sent her a song called Thrash the West. And she responded to it and liked it and went to the studio and, and sang on it. And this is where I come in to interject. So I get the I get Thrash the West during COVID. And you know, I, I'm not really one for checking my emails. And then during COVID, I was struggling a bit a lot, quite a bit. I'd actually not been struggling. I'd already was intent on not going into the studio ever again. I was, and that was my choice and I was happy with my decision. But, um, during that time I was just thinking about how John Prine never, you know, let anything cross his desk without giving it a listen because it, it disrespects folks art and time and all that. And so I listened to Lawrence's song thrash the West and, um, I don't know. It, it there's not many voices that, that inhabit that um, low range. And then on top of that, there was the uh, production and then the sound of the strings and the string parts that really got me. Sonic landscape, really. And then um, then the subject matter. And uh, so since they asked me to sing on it, I said, okay, maybe I can do that. I can sing on it. Um, and then when I went to the studio and heard them, you know, not just on my computer's uh, speaker thing. Um, that's when I was all in with um, the sounds that Lawrence was making. And um, from there, we just kept talking. And eventually, I sent them a song. And they were like, we should get in the studio. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm just, I just wanted somebody to hear it. And then another song. And then we decided to do a trial date because I'm not... Um, young and green and dumb anymore and didn't want to put all my hope and faith into making a record because I wasn't ready to make one at that time um, and mentally or anyway really so we did a trial day and that went really really well and then from there my joy was rekindled and my love for music was rediscovered and um yeah, so then creativity begat more creativity, and it just doesn't stop. We loosely kind of wrote a song uh, via text before we met, uh, and and it was a really uh, wonderful thing to kind of just, you know, write something with somebody that you, you don't really know really well, but like kind of get to a spot where you really delve into, in, into a lyrical uh theme that was sort of close to me uh we started with like a, a story from my childhood and it went really well and then then we from there we did this trial day and on the trial day uh we tracked fault lines stupid love and don't be alarmed that all appear on the album and uh at, at the top of the day i knew it was gonna be a great session but i didn't know a single person in the room um you know i didn't know any of the musicians or the engineer or amanda but i just had this feeling that it was going to be great. And by the end of the day, 
we uh, had those three songs and we were talking about, uh, you know, when can I come back and we, we make a record. And it kind of was this sort of just this instant, like, wow, we really work great together. And we sort of, uh, it was a, it was a thing where a rare thing in the studio where you kind of can just, I, I call it like, uh, like tossing the turtle and Amanda laughs at that where it was just sort of, really we were going on feeling and to do it with somebody that you barely knew. I knew that we were up to something that could turn into something really great. And so at the end of the day or two that we were recording the trial session, a man invited me back to come back a few weeks later to, to make a full record. And um, I asked her, she had sent me some songs prior, but I asked her, you know, can I get demos? And she didn't really like demos at that point. And, uh, she said, well, I'm going to go back in these next two weeks. I'm going to basically write the record. And she wrote upwards to like 16 songs during those, those two weeks. And every day at the end of every day, I'd get a song or two um, demo. And it was a great joy at the end of the night to have these sort of, you know, presents in my email and I'd open them. And I mean, every single one, I was like, Oh my God, that one's the best one. Then I, the next day I'd be like, Oh my God, you beat that. That's the best one. And so I had this pile of just really great um, demos that she had had. And, and then, uh, and then I went back in, in January of 2021 and we, we made the record RCAB. One of the crazy things though, is it didn't take much for us as far as finding the, um, the language for what we both want to hear. I think there's something about, um, like our tastes and our influences align for the most part all the time. And then things that I don't know about, Lawrence shows me, and then things that Lawrence doesn't know about, I bring to Lawrence. And then um, there, it didn't take long for us to, it took, I don't even know if it took any time to establish what we both liked or didn't like. I don't know that we even talked about that much. But after the first trial day, is when we kind of started sending like, you know, sound ideas, if that's a word for what, what I'm talking about. Uh, I would send like things I liked, but then we didn't even need to do that. Like it was just basically, oh, I like that too. Well, it was it, for me, and I believe you as well, it was a rare moment of where you, and you don't get this too many times in your musical life where like you're able to find somebody to be in a band with or, in our instance to, I mean, I feel like I'm in Amanda's band in a sense, but like to, where you have a musical partner where you're producing something where all of your taste pretty much align and unforced. Like if Amanda shows me something uh, like a, a record or something, 9.5 out of 10 times, I'm going to love it. And, or if I'm getting onto like a different sort of sonic palette idea, I'll tell Amanda about it. And she'd be like, Oh my God, I was thinking the same thing. So we're very, it's, it's a really unique experience to make music together because we're like on the same page and our tastes are evolving at the same time too. So we're like, there's a lot of sounds that we're completely over and, and together we're both over those sounds. And there's sounds that we want to explore that together we both are in complete alignment and, and have gravitated towards those sounds naturally like on our own. And so it's a very, it's like, uh, 
it, it's I've, it's kind of like a musical twinning or something. <laughs> and uh, I'm just grateful that uh, I found somebody to collaborate with where it's this sort of free flowing because I always had a reservation about producing and getting into that thing because of the fact it's, you know, you're, you're, you have to take somebody's vision and, and bring it to life. And if you, as the producer aren't completely invested in it emotionally and creatively, like it, like it's your own band or your own music, I don't feel like you can really deliver the ultimate vision of what that artist has in mind. And so I never wanted to throw myself into those positions because I'd have to be very, very emotionally invested with the, with the creativity and, and being aligned with it. And with Amanda, I found that perfect combination for myself. If you were going to, you know, play a, a match game as a kid where you draw the line to like artist and producer, this would probably not be one of the lines that I would draw. Benadryl and cereal versus the high women or like not a son. I mean, you want to talk about something that's really outside the box in terms of like that versus an Americano, you know, don't be alarmed might be the most what I would have expected from an Amanda Shires record. You know, that that's sort of like if I put that on and that was the first track, I'd be like, oh, yeah, but that's not what this record is. If you played me this record and and didn't tell me who it was, I wouldn't I would never guess, honestly. I mean, other than maybe the voice, but it's got 70s country pop orchestral arrangements it's got rock stuff it's got stuff that reminds me of danger mouse and broken bells and like i'm just also it's kind of all over the map but it hangs together essentially because lyrically it's got these themes that i think are pervasive throughout the record from a production standpoint and a writing standpoint when you sent that stuff to lawrence was it more in line with what people may have expected so, so like I don't like demos. I just don't like it. I don't like the idea of of of. I just don't like it, especially back then when I was in a spot where I didn't in a vulnerable place with music. Um, but with them, I got to where I felt safe and comfortable, and um, so I just did my best with it and. Um, like you can tell in my other records, I was trying to find stuff. Like even going back to Downfell the Doves when I worked with Andy Lamaster and like trying to find stuff, you know, sounds and things. And um, and my my language for that and vocabulary for that kind of stuff was was not there. And um, I think because Lawrence and I both have been in the music business forever, like we're both working professionally at the same time in different fields in, I don't know, 95, 96. And um, anyway, so to your question, uh, no, they weren't like you'd expect because Lawrence had some cool ideas um, and would send me like tracks, like that kind of stuff that I could, that I could see if I liked and write to. I mean, I don't know. Were they like demos you'd expect? Because I had never do them before. <laughs> well, my question was my question was really like, were they acoustic guitar vocal demos? But I didn't realize that the collaboration was happening in that regard. That you guys were actually sending things back and forth, um, and that Lawrence was providing ideas as well for you to write to. 
it was a very, very quick, uh, like I said, it was, it was during a two week period and it was between Christmas and new year's of 2020, 2021. And Amanda would, would demo up a demo of her own. Right. And then I uh, built up the, or I took the risk. I didn't know, I didn't actually know how she was going to react to it. I sent her a, 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 we call them randoms. And it's just like a little bit of a folder of idea, sonic, track idea stuff and she picked out a couple of those and she wrote to just a couple of those but but mostly i don't really like to elaborate demos so and and amanda at that time didn't either so a lot of them were you know very stripped piano guitar whatever even just like on a voice memo just because um it's easier to sort of imagine the song when you don't go too wild on on a demo with it um sure but then we would. Then, I, then, I sent a couple were like auto harp and voice, and a yeah. couple were ukulele and voice, and a couple was my voice recorded shoddily over an MP3 track of Lawrence's, or like I would stop and start my computer. It's kind of it's kind of com- yeah, comic yeah. comedic. Yeah. They're really cool though. Like I, the, the 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 few that ended up being like something that there was a music bed that you top lined over. Like those, there was only like one or two or. I think two or two of those maybe, but they were like, she'd start and stop them to the spots and, and sing to her voice memo. And, and it was all very, yeah, it was raw. It kept a lot of space for us to imagine what we could do to it all and, and not be, not get that demo itis thing, which I am the, I am the master of demo itis and, and, and uh, with my own work. So I was hoping to avoid that, that pitfall with what we were doing people don't get the access and the and the sort of the you know privilege in a lot of ways to see what producers do you know sometimes you you end up getting something and then it's you know what comes out the other end they don't get to see the sausage being made and 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 you know for better or worse you know and i think that sometimes it would be interesting for people to hear that and that's that was the point of my question was because this is such a you know, it's cinematic in so many ways, um, which speaks to your production and your records. We have some of them and some and a lot of them I would do would be on video. And so I'm not scared for some of those to come out, but it's it's um, they're 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 neat in that way, like you said, to be able to see how it was done. But it's it's also, um, you know, not the quality that it became so i guess the person that would suffer uh in in the release of a video demo the most would be me being uh, goofy <laughs> but it's interesting if um fault lines uh which is one of my favorite songs on the record uh, amanda sent to me on a ukulele and i i was in london at the time and i uh in the ubers and stuff i must have played that ukulele demo till it broke i mean i played it so many times and so for, so when I came time to go do the trial date with, with her, I was so in my head about loving just the stripped her voice in the ukulele that I had to go like, okay, I have to, I've listened to it too many times. I need to like imagine this as, as like a, you know, a, a full band production. But that, that to me was one of those moments where it, the reason why I love this project so much in her, in her songwriting is that it, you can have it on a ukulele. You can have it just on a piano. You can have it just on an acoustic guitar and the melody and the lyrics hold up. And uh, typically 
there's a lot of scenarios. I mean, where we, we do demos and we get elaborate with the demos because they're not driven by, you know, a strong melody or a lyric and that's okay. Cause sometimes music should be more about the production and all of the sonic treatments. And that's what the song's about. But in the case of what I gravitate towards and what Amanda does, it's all about the lyric and the voice. And so, you know, her music can exist very stripped and keep your full attention, you know? On Fault Lines, we tried to do drums on that song a lot of different ways and then decided that didn't need it. Oh, no. Don't be alarmed. Oh, wait. Yeah, sorry. Part of part of what came across my desk was, you know, sort of heralding that you guys did this record at, or parts of this record at least, at RCA Studio B. Why there? I mean, there's so many f- studios in Nashville. I mean. Well, so that one's normally... You can you can record some in there. It's uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame runs it, and they run tours through it um, and show, you know, folks that come to Nashville looking for music history, that kind of stuff. And um, during COVID, though, there were no tours, mm. and um, Lawrence, Lawrence, it, that was like I, we we're running the ideas by, and Lawrence was like, "That sounds fucking awesome," and so we went in there and nobody's really recorded full records in there at that time and so we we had the run of the place and and with the run of the place we had a a run of problems to deal with and um like power issues and all that that Lawrence can speak to I mean even Jason with the guitar he said I figured out why Chet liked to Gretsch so much because it's the only one that'll work in this room that's (laughs) funny yeah I mean um it it we were we were originally supposed to uh, make the record at uh, Sound Emporium, Sound Emporium Studio A, and they were booked uh, during the first two weeks of January 2021. And that, and we re- really had our 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 hearts set on recording during those two weeks. We were we we did the trial date uh, right before Christmas, and we were just like in that mode of like let's make a record. And so um, we. Amanda threw out some names, and when she said RCA Studio B, I, I mean that was like a dream come true. I didn't even know you could record there, which you kind of really can't because it's a it's an operating museum, you know. So right. records records haven't been made there since you know the days of Elvis and things like that, like full records. So Amanda had access to getting us in there, uh, but the one thing was that you know since it wasn't really a working studio, there wasn't much equipment in there there wasn't many mics or mic pre's or any we even brought my speakers from my house yeah yes so we rented so blackbird kindly rented us just a pile of equipment and we sort of built a rebuilt the control room for the for the for the sessions uh we brought in amanda's pmc speakers and rented you know just a, a ton of 1073s and fairchilds and um lots of outboard gear lots of fun outboard gear i brought a bunch of mics from from my studio in california rca bk5s and um some roy but we did have that that roy piano and the celeste yeah and then but the instrument um the instruments that you could choose from in there is you know roy's original celeste and the piano that was uh done on you know like all the everly brothers recordings and just like a marimbas and vibraphones so there was a lot of really rich instrumentation to choose from and the sound of the room i don't know if i've been in a more elegant 
and well-balanced sounding uh, tracking room in my entire life. I mean, and I've recorded in a lot of rooms from, and I love all these rooms, but like Sunset Sound and things like that. But the RCA Studio B, the sound of that room, we set up the whole band and everybody tracked it live with very minimal um, gobos between even Amanda's vocal many on many songs was cut live and the bleed was so musical that uh we were very spoiled by that aspect of it so all of the headaches it took to set up the control room and all the rental gear was worth it in the end because the sound of the room was just sort of unmatched in my opinion yeah that's so cool when that happens right i mean it makes it makes so much of it uh you know people always say oh god how do they get the sound on those old records and this and that and there it's the room you know yeah it's the room i mean it, it really when you've got something where the room resonates right where the drums have the right low end and the right ambience around it and the, even the vocal like where you know amanda stood uh in the spot where they had x on the ground where elvis was elvis's spot and a lot of the singers during that era like dolly and um and the everly's and roy and like there was a special sweet spot where you sang and that spot even when you put a vocal mic up there it had a just a residence to it around you know that um that you know it's like all those little things help to make mixing or just a recording just just that much more less stressful you know when but we did get we got creative too since the room's only like 40 feet by 25 or something um we also located a couple of uh, mattresses and um sleeping bags yeah we did (laughs) i remember i was trying to force jason to play the damn ukulele and um there there was we put like th- two of those little twin mattresses and blankets, and then, then at some point he didn't want anybody to know he was playing it, and um, hid. I remember that, and then I also remember do- Lawrence doing a hell of a lot of dancing, and I think that contributed to a lot of the sound and joy of music hidden inside the yeah, songs. Dur- during this session was the first time, and I kind of don't want to ever go backwards on it. Where I I sat in the track room not the control room the entire session uh and after once we started doing that all the sessions we've done since i kind of just remain in the in the tracking room records used to be made in three hours or songs you know guys would just come in and 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 play and and everyone was in the room and that was how that's how those records were made they they didn't take months to make i mean and it sounded like uh this record was made fairly quickly yeah we tracked uh at rca uh 10 days and we did over 20 songs during that time and uh, you know there's the 11 that are you know that made the record but we did around 25 songs or so in those in those 10 days and uh and it was very quick we were doing like two to three songs a day sometimes um and uh afterwards uh, i took it back to uh los angeles uh, to my studio and you know basically the goal at rca was to set everybody up live um drums bass piano guitar amanda singing with her fiddle even live like hawk for a dub that was on the floor with the band that fiddle solo it just to capture as much of it live as possible with minimal uh, editing and minimal, you know, uh, minimal overdubs, you know, so we, we, 
got as much as we could like in the live snapshot. And then I took it back to Los Angeles and then I, I, I added some of the, you know, orchestration stuff later, but like the meat and potatoes of everything, her voice, Amanda's voice, her fiddle, the drums, bass, guitars, piano, organ, that was just all captured live. And I, for me, that made it like have an energy that was something that I used to do when I started making music, but kind of got, I got lost in pro tools over land myself. Um, and so to hear a record where it's like human beings all playing together, uh, you know, with no click tracks and, and it, it just has a humanness to it that, you know, I hear about the great producers always talking about, but I have never really experienced myself. And now I don't know if I could ever go backwards. <laughs> It was going this way anyway, but the pandemic really pushed people into their own bedrooms and in making music in isolated ways, right? I mean, yeah. Um, and I, I hope that, I mean, it just it's just the way records are being made because you can send a hard drive off to somebody or post it on Dropbox and nobody even has to be in the same room. And it doesn't mean that you can't make a good record that way, but there's something so special about having people in the room together and having human interaction. And when you get the right people in the room together, this might sound, I don't know, woo-woo or something, but I believe it. If you get the right people in the room, it it's recorded on on those recordings somewhere, the, the, the vibe, you know? Absolutely. Whether or not you can hear it, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and in, in our instance, uh, the band that Amanda uh, and I put together for this record, like it, it, it was one of those scenarios that, like I said, like kind of changed my life. Amanda, when I first met her, was like I gave up on music, and 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 I helped pull her back into music. And what Amanda did for me was like I gave up on like the whole like you know. You, you, you have a bunch of musicians in a room and you, you try to make a record because I had done things like that for myself in the past. And when I've exited those sessions, they're always just sort of flat and didn't have the thing I wanted. Um, but after meeting Amanda and, and hanging out with the musicians that she brought to the table and, and things like that, it changed me where it's like, yes, if you have the right musicians in the room that is right for the project and right for the artist and the song, those things that happen and those sounds and those textures and those in the feel of, of, of what goes down is unmatched to anything. And, and it doesn't, you can't get that by sending a hard drive back and forth. And like you said, there are records that are made like that, that are incredibly amazing. And there's some of my favorite, some of my favorite records are made like that. But um, I think in this day and age, I prefer the human interaction because we are, we have been so isolated during the, the COVID times. And I think that now having that human interaction in music is a good change up for so much music that has been made not like that, you know, in the past maybe 10 years. We were so happy, like in the room. I did this just, I just remembered this, um, that we'd get a track and you say, we got it. And I said, can we just do one more for fun? We're all having so much fun. And then you said, of course. And then every time we would get to do one more for fun. Because there is that feeling coming out of isolation and then getting masked up and, you know, 
making sure getting your COVID test and all that, a feeling of like, what if this is the last time we ever get to play this song? There was that. I was like, what if this is the last time we ever get to play this song? Because, you know, mm. we didn't know going through COVID that we'd come out. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, you brought that up a lot. Like, well, let me do it one more time because I might not ever be able to play this song again. And uh, it was funny because we didn't do very many takes to songs. We would do maybe three, maybe four. But uh, when Amanda would suggest a one more for fun take, a lot of those ended up being the take that we used. Um, and it was, even though I was happy to, to go like, we got it. The one more for fun takes would always have something I guess a bit more fun about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we got it, guys. And uh, one more for fun. Should we do one more interview for fun? (laughs) Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. Serious trouble Just to make